Okay, very good. Yes. Yes, Marilyn, my laptop broke. It is not working at all. Okay, excellent. Uh, I'm working on that, trying to get a new one already. So uh, that's why, you know, normally I've been putting this up so that you guys can chat, you know, talk with each other and uh, talk about whatever you want to talk about beforehand, before these live streams chart start. Teresa, hello from Hong Kong. Excellent. We have people from all over the world on here, which is kind of amazing. Everywhere from the Middle East to the East to pretty much every country in the West. You know, I know we have a lot of Australians on here. Just giving everybody a couple of minutes to get here. Oh, but that's why I didn't have it up so that you guys could chat with each other this time. My computer is broken. I've been trying to get it to work this whole time. Uh, hi guys. Jenny, the dove. Excellent. So, uh, so now Marina says I am sideways. So it seems like for some people I'm sideways one way and for others I'm sideways the other way. Okay, so let me start with New Orleans. Uh, New Orleans is actually the reason, and I'm not going to look at the screen. I can't cover the comments up this time because I'm doing it on my phone and I would have to cover up the entire screen. Uh, so I'm just not going to look at it so I don't get distra distracted. I'm sorry, I got the hiccups. Um, but one of the things that made me think about doing this live stream tonight on like the paranormal. And we're gonna cover all different aspects of this. You know, it's kind of difficult for me to even figure out what word to use, you know, because so many of these words have been used in so many different ways, you know, to, to mean so many different really cheesy and horrible things that all of them are tainted a little bit, you know, whether you're talking about the word supernatural or whether you're talking about paranormal or whatever it is. Uh, these words have been, you know, tossed around in ways to mean so many different things that when, for me, you know, I don't know how everyone else feels, but for me, whenever I hear those things, uh, they make me kind of cringe a little bit just because of how cheesy they are. Um, and hopefully we can take some of that out. We can make them a little less cringy, a little less cheesy, uh, a little less ancient aliens and ghost hunters. Um, nothing against that if that's what you like. Uh, you know, I know those things are really popular, but that's not the avenue that I was wanting to go down. That's not the way I was wanting to talk about these things. The reason that I want to talk about these, honestly, it's not a subject that I am uh, incredibly interested in, to be honest, although a lot of people are. You know, a lot of people love this sort of stuff. They love to, you know, talk about and listen to, like, uh, ghost stories or, you know, whatever you want to call it, unexplained phenomena, all that sort of stuff. I did when I was a kid. You know, when I was a kid, I can remember, you know, back in the late 70s, early 80s, seeing those time life books on TV, you know, the mysteries of the unexplained, like it was like a series of books where you would get one a month and they would be on everything from, you know, the pyramids of Egypt to unexplained hauntings. And I used to 
I would, every time those commercials came on, I would think, oh my God, I wish I could have those. But I think as you progress past a certain point in magic, uh, most people will start to lose some of the interest in those things just because, I don't know, they're, it's just kind of, uh, when you understand how the energetic world works, how reality is structured and, and how these things take place, there's no more mystery there. You know, first off, it's not like this unexplained thing that blows your mind. Uh, you understand more of what's happening, and it will be of no more interest to you than, you know, like people will say all the time, you know, they'll tell you, you know, one time I saw a ghost in this hotel. And, you know, honestly, to me, that's no more interesting than if somebody said, yeah, one time I saw a person in this hotel, because that's essentially what it is. Uh, we live in an ecosystem. We live in a spiritual ecosystem for lack of a, you know, when I say spiritual, that can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. But we live in an ecosystem, in an environment where uh, the reality consists of different levels or layers. You know, for example, everyone is familiar with the physical level of reality flesh and blood, things we can touch, things we can taste, things we can see with our physical eyes, things we can hear with our physical ears. Uh, all of that's the physical world. Above the physical world, you have something that is slightly more ethereal and ephemeral, which is the etheric world. The etheric level of reality, this is the level of reality you're interacting with when you're using chi. You know, whenever we're inhaling and bringing in light and pushing it out to do something with, whether it's charge a talisman or whether it's to circulate it the way you're doing with the middle pillar, or if you're doing Tai Chi, if you're practicing Qi Gong, certain aspects of Taoism, all of these uh, techniques and practices involve using energy on the etheric level of reality. It's a level of reality that is more dense than what we think of as the astral, but not quite as dense as the physical. It interpenetrates the physical levels of reality, but it's not quite as dense as we are. Uh, above the etheric, you've got the physical, which is the bottom. You've got the etheric, which is slightly above that. You know, also when I'm talking about seeing auras. You know, if you remember a little while back, I can't remember how long ago it was, I gave you an exercise you can do to start practicing seeing the aura. Uh, and the way you do it is basically you hold your hand at arm's length like this, and you have to do this with a white wall. You have a white wall, you hold your hand like this at arm's length, and you look at the white wall through here. You envision that right about through here, if you look all the way back on the white wall, there's a, a black spot on the wall. You look at that spot through here. You don't strain, you don't stare at it really hard, you don't try to you know, force squint your eyes or anything, you just relax and look at it. And you don't look at your hand, but what happens is while you're looking at the spot, you'll eventually start to see something around your hand that almost looks like heat rising above the highway. 
uh, you know, on a really hot summer day, whenever you see heat coming off that, coming off the asphalt, that's what you'll start to see around your hand. Now, if you shift your focus from the dot and look directly at your hand, you're gonna lose it. It's gonna disappear. Uh, you have to keep your eyes relaxed and you stare at the dot and then you'll start to see it. Eventually, whenever you get good enough at it, whenever you practice this for a while, you will be able to shift your gaze and look more at it, directly at it. And once you do that, then you'll be able to start seeing the same thing on other people, on objects, whatever. Well, whenever you do that, what you're looking at is etheric energy. That's what you're seeing. When you're seeing the densest part of someone's aura, you are seeing etheric energy. That's why it's so close to the physical body. It's not that it just goes around you, it also interpenetrates you. So if you hear about something like, say some sort of supernatural thing, like let's say for just, just an example, a ghost, and the reason, remember a while ago when I said we live in an ecosystem? Uh, there are many, many different things that exist on all these different levels of reality. Uh, some of them exist on the physical. Some of them are just on these other levels of reality. But it's not like there's just ghosts, you know, like there's just dead people. You know, uh, most people have also heard of things like angels, demons, all of those sort of things those are still just a tiny, tiny fraction of what exists within the spiritual ecosystem. Think for a second about, you know, in, our, in the physical world, think about all the different life forms you have here. You've got humans, you've got other mammals like cows and horses and dogs and cats, you've got insects, you know, you've got hundreds of thousands of different kinds of insects in this world. Uh, did I say birds already? You've got birds, everything from chickens to pigeons to cockatoos and parrots. Uh, you've got fish, you've got whales, you've got sharks, you've got octopus. You know, to say that the only thing that exists in the, the spiritual realm, for lack of a better phrase to use it, is ghosts, angels, and demons, is like saying that the only thing that exists in the physical world is people, cats, and dogs. There are a lot of different things out there, and they all serve different purposes. They, are all, they all have different levels of power. You know, like for example, we humans are like the top of the food chain, almost the top of the food chain in the physical world. Uh, humans are also almost the top of the food chain in the energetic world. I say almost because what is at the top of the food chain in the supernatural or paranormal world is a magician. The distinction between a person and a magician is that most people, your average person on the street is not aware of much of anything going on in, in these other realms of reality they're not capable of perceiving anything that goes on in these other realms of reality. So other things that exist can affect them, and they do. On Twitter, before we started, I said, one of the questions I posed was, uh, and I'm not gonna look at the comments, um, let's, we are gonna get to the questions, um, but I'll do those a little later. One of the questions I asked was, you know, what purpose or what role or, or what reason is there in a modern industrial society 
for even paying attention to these sorts of things. And it's because people to this day are still affected by these things. Most of them don't realize it. And what do I mean by affected? I mean anything from some of these things can feed off of your energy, you know, like a, a, a true psychic vampire, to, uh, you know, for this is really hard to describe, but they can also do things like uh, cause you to become obsessed with things. Um, you, you know, everybody's also heard of things like, say, for example, demonic possession, where things influence or control your behavior. Well, the average human being has no control over that. They can't defend themselves in any way whatsoever. A magician can. They become aware of those things. They are aware of those things, and they can also protect themselves from those things. So that's another aspect of what we're going to be covering. This is probably going to take more than one night. Uh, depends on how long you guys want to keep going with this. Um, it will determine how deep we go into some of these topics. So one thing that I want to cover is, you know, why does this stuff matter? You know, we're, we're, we live in an age where the new religion is science. Sci but once again, you know, even that, so much of this stuff, there's so many different uh, ways of splitting this stuff up. You know, for example, we tend to think now that science is like one thing and that everybody agrees on what it is and that all scientists agree on what it is. Nothing could be further from the truth. You know, a lot of what we get told as science is no more true science than, for example, the Catholic Church was the true teachings of Jesus. You know, especially during times like, uh, what did they call it? The, the real name of the burning times, the Inquisition. Like the Inquisition. You know, Jesus wasn't going around burning people at the stake or torturing confessions out of them or any of that stuff. Yet they claimed that they were, you know, the true holders of these teachings of Christ. The same, that's kind of where we're at in science now. Like science depends on uh, what's going to bring the money in. Um, so, you know, we'll get into that a little bit. Like, you know... The reason I bring this up is because a lot of people are under the impression that science has somehow discredited all this stuff. You know, science has somehow uh, proved that there's no such thing as magic, that there's no such thing as the paranormal or supernatural, uh, and none of that stuff could be further from the truth. So we're going to get into why does this stuff matter, as well as some of what exists in this in these other levels of reality. Uh, and we'll get back to that in just a second, talking about some of these other levels, as well as ways to uh, perceive and interact with these other levels of reality and how to defend ourselves or other people from things that may not have our best interest at heart. And that's not to say everything that you're going to come in contact with out there is malevolent in some sort of way. It's going to wish you harm in some sort of way. It's not. Some of these things that exist are just completely and absolutely alien to us. You know, for example, the fae, what people call fairies, they are not 
you know, like Tinkerbell from the Peter Pan thing, like a little thing that flies around and sprinkles dust. Fairies or the Fae are to these other levels of reality what humans are to the physical level of reality. They're the top of the food chain. They're like the masters of, they've dominated everything else there. Uh, yeah, Marilyn says Mothman. Mothman is one of those things. Um, you know, you've got a bunch of different stuff. So first off, uh, let me start off by saying what we're not going to be talking about. What we're not going to be talking about are things that sometimes get lumped in with this sort of stuff, but that don't really fit. You know, like, for example, Bigfoot, uh, the Sasquatch, the Yeti, the Loch Ness Monster, uh, anything that falls into the realm of what people now call cryptozoology, um, you know, those unexplained uh, creatures, um, those do not count. The reason those don't count is because those are physical things. You know, like when you're talking about something like a Bigfoot, you could very well just be talking about a species of animal that has not been found yet, you know, that nobody has, has caught yet. And that sounds kind of, you know, some people will say, yeah, yeah, there's no such thing as a Bigfoot. Keep this in mind. When, when explorers first came back to civilization, to society, and started talking about a gorilla, when, and this was the late 1800s, when they were saying they had seen a gorilla, people were saying, that's a lie. There's nothing like what you're describing exists out there in the world. I mean, it's a gorilla for God's sake. Now we take it for granted, like it's a normal thing. In the late 1800s, people were still saying, you're making up stuff. Nothing like that exists. Uh, so something like say a Bigfoot or, or a Loch Ness Monster or you know, any of those kind of things that fall into that, that hardcore flesh and blood world. Uh, we're not covering, yes, yes, Shannon, Shannon, Shannon says uh, elementals. Um, elementals are, are some of those things, you know, things besides human, besides ghosts, besides demons, besides the fae, besides angels, besides gods. Uh, there are um, tons of things out there. So let me go back for one second. We were talking about the levels of reality before I got sidetracked. You've got the physical, which we talked about, which is this. You've got the etheric, which we talked about, which is basically chi. Above that, you've got the astral. The astral level of reality is even more ethereal or ephemeral than etheric energy. Astral energy cannot be seen with the physical eye. Remember I was telling you if you do that thing where you study your aura, you can eventually see the etheric energy? Well, you can't see astral energy with the physical eye. It's, it's higher up, it's of a higher vibration than the densest level, physical, above that etheric, above that astral. It is, the, it is something that has to be perceived with other senses that you develop through magic. Um, above the astral, you have what is called the spiritual. The spiritual is just like this, think of it as almost like the quantum field. 
It is the source that everything came from and to which everything will one day return. It is the highest vibrational energy that exists. It interpenetrates and surrounds all things. It is heaven, God, whatever you want to call it. Um, the reason that I was thinking about this stuff and the reason that I wanted to start talking about this is two things. One is I was down in New Orleans, you guys know. Uh, I got home night before last. Uh, and when I was down there, you know, there's... The energy is different in the South than it is in the North. And I don't mean just the energy of the people, but that's it. That's part of it. I mean the energy of the place itself. Perhaps it has something to do with the humidity, with the amount of water in the air, because water is, it, it does hold energy. You know, it's why when we're making things like fluid condensers, when we're making tinctures, it's one of the reasons we use water is because water holds energy and humidity is just water in the air. You know, this, for example, is why they say, uh, don't go swimming in a, in, a, in a body of still water where someone has drowned recently because all of the energy that they were releasing as they were drowning, that horror, that fear, that terror, all of that stuff is held in that still body of water and it will have an effect on you whenever you swim in it. It can cause the same thing to happen again. It can cause more than one person to drown there. Uh, because that energy holds, that water holds that energy. Uh, if the water, on the other hand, is moving, especially very rapidly, it carries energy away because water holds energy, and if the water's moving, then it holds it and carries it away. This is what lies at the heart of those myths, like, uh, not even myths, they're true, about how, for example, uh, vampires can't cross running water it's because if they try to cross, the vampires are not physical beings. They are energetic intelligences uh, that exist on all these other levels of reality except for the physical. So if they try to cross the running water, it's going to disperse them, sweep them away because water carries energy. Um, let me see, what else should be? Oh, uh, but New Orleans? You know, in New Orleans, you're not just talking about the South. You're talking about the Deep South, all the way down by the Gulf of Mexico, where it is incredibly dense, but it also has an incredibly rich history. Uh, a lot of stuff has happened down there. A lot of traumatic things, a lot of good things, a lot of bad things, a lot of horrifying things. And those things also leave imprints in the energetic atmosphere there. Uh, but... Um, oh, and just to keep you up to date on New Orleans, I am in the process right now of trying to get a house there. Uh, we, we found one that we absolutely love, and we have put a bid in on it. The woman that owns it has accepted the bid. The next step in the process will, to be, will be to get an inspector to go down and look at it and make sure it's okay, that there's nothing, you know, structurally wrong with it. 
Uh, if all goes well, we will be closing on this house at the end of next month, at the end of May, which means I will be relocating from New York to New Orleans in the very, very near future. I will be down there at the time of year when you really don't want to be down there, which is like July and August when it is hot as hell. Uh, that's, that's probably, if all goes well, if there are no setbacks, that's when I'll be down there. Also, I have a friend who lives down there that she doesn't live down there. She has a second home down there. She actually lives in uh, California, but she has a second home. She has a vacation home in New Orleans. She told me that I can use her place to do classes while she's not there. So even before we get a space to uh, start the school, the school can start in person in a friend of mine's uh, house. She said, I can use it to do classes. So uh, hopefully we're going to be up and rolling really, really soon. Um, so hold on one second. I'm going to read you some things. Uh, now I'm going to read you something from John Michael Greer, actually, and this is kind of long winded. I hope you'll bear with me. Uh, it's going to be, let me see, one, two, three, four, five. I might skip some of this because this is there's a lot of reading here, but I want to go into some of the stuff about science and how, like what's, hold on one second. I'm going to give you some examples of something. Let me see, let me see. So I'm gonna, first I'm going to read you something from John Michael Greer about the word monster. He calls, uh, when he's talking about the paranormal, when he's talking about the supernatural, uh, whatever term, whatever phrase you want to call these things, he refers to them as monsters. Uh, and the reason is because what the word monster means. You know, one of my favorite quotes of all time is by uh, a, a poet, named Ogden Nash. He said, where there's a monster, there's a miracle. I love that saying just because it is 100% true. Uh, the word monster comes from the Latin root, which means to show forth or to shine forth, meaning to reveal something. So if you have seen a monster you have seen divinity. Something has been shown to you, even if it's horrifying, even if it scares you because it's outside your normal frame of reference, outside your normal view of reality. Uh, that's what's been shown to you. You have seen something that is connected to the divine realm, even if it was frightening. And I'm going to tell you something else before I read this, uh, before this slips my mind. 
I knew a guy one time that used to travel around the country staying at every haunted location that he could find, like like haunted hotels, haunted bed and breakfasts, you know, places like, uh, you know, where Lizzie Borden killed her parents, um, all of that stuff. He said because he desperately wanted to experience something. He desperately wanted to see something, hear something, feel something, experience something that would give him some sort of evidence that there was what he called life after death, that there was something beyond the physical realm uh, that happened after the physical body died. He said he had done this dozens of times. He had made dozens of trips to stay in all these different places, and so far he had not found one single thing. He say he's you know he said it in a disappointed way you know not like he was trying to debunk things, but like he was really disappointed because he really really did want to experience something, and he had stayed in places where other people had reported experiencing things in hopes of of you know repeating that himself and had never come in contact with anything. I didn't explain this to him. I didn't tell him this because I, he wasn't really at a level where he would understand this yet. But the problem wasn't the locations. The problem wasn't that there wasn't some sort of supernatural or paranormal, whatever word you want to call it, phenomenon going on there. The reason he was not experiencing anything was him. He was incapable of perceiving any of that. If you're familiar with the work of Rudolf Steiner, Rudolf Steiner said that, you know, just like we have eyes and ears and faculties of perception that allow us to perceive things in this world, you know, our ears allow us to perceive sound waves. Our eyes allow us to perceive uh, light. Um, the light spectrum, our nerves, our hands, our fingers allow us the sense of touch to know when we're coming in contact with things. Just like we have these senses in the physical world, we also have senses on these other levels of reality that we were talking about a while ago. We have etheric senses, we have astral senses, we have spiritual senses. The thing is, in most people, they are completely and absolutely dormant because they have never done anything that uh, exercises them, that strengthens them, that brings them online. You don't experience the paranormal world with your physical world senses. You experience it with these other kinds of senses. Well, just like if a person were born without eyes and ears or a sense of touch, then this world would just be black emptiness. And you might also come to the conclusion that nothing exists in this world. There's no people because I can't see them. I can't hear them. I can't feel them, so there's no no people here. Uh, you know, there's no animals here because I can't see them. I can't detect them in any way. 
a person born without any kind of senses to perceive this physical world would assume that it's just a dark, empty void where nothing exists because they can't perceive anything. That is the same way that people who have not began to exercise these senses on these other levels of reality, that's why they are incapable of perceiving stuff on these other levels, on these other, you know, dimensions of reality. And that's where all of this stuff exists. That's where all of this stuff takes place. So whether the places he were staying, whether there was actually something going on there or not, who can say because I wasn't there, I didn't experience firsthand, uh, but I could, I was in his presence and I could feel him and I could tell that, you know, he wasn't operational, like none of, he wasn't capable of detecting anything beyond the physical level of reality. Uh, so that's a long-ass explanation, but I'm going to read to you um, this thing from John Michael Greer about uh, monsters. And somebody asked something a while ago about uh, sleep paralysis. That's one of the things we're going to get to. That's one of the things when we're talking about what impact do these things have on our life in like a modern-day industrial society. It's not that just we're just seeing them. It's that we still, to this day, experience them. If you have ever experienced sleep paralysis, if you have ever experienced what in Scandinavian countries they call uh, the old hag, a hag attack, where people wake up in the middle of the night and they cannot move, but they can tell there is something in this room. They know with absolute certainty that there is something in this room and it's pressing on their chest. That's an old hag attack. Well, in, uh, in Vietnam, there's a group of people, there's a lot of them here in the US now, uh, this, this certain group of Asian people called the Hmong, spelled H-M-O-N-G. Well, they have something in their culture that is very similar to the old hag but they call it the Dacho. How do you spell that? I can't remember. It's not spelled anything like it sounds. Like it starts with a, a T, like T-S-O-G, but it's called Dacho is how they pronounce the name of it. Not only does the Dacho do to them the same thing that the hag does to people, but you have a lot of Hmong die from Dacho attacks. Uh, and that's very, very similar to what Eastern Europeans called the vampire, which is where we get the word vampire. Um, all of those are describing the same phenomenon. Uh, oh, and I'll tell you one, one story real quick that I have, uh, just one of the things um, before we go into this, one of my own experience with things beyond, you know, like what we normally think of, like ghosts and demons and angels and something like that, uh, something that started to get a lot of notice and a lot of attention and people talked about a lot in the past few years, I had never heard anyone talk about these things at all up until 
just a few years ago, um, you know, maybe 10 years ago or so, uh, what people call shadow people. These are things that you perceive them like out of the corner of your eye, you will see a shape like a person. It will look like a person, but some way you know that it's not a person. It's not a ghost like, like people normally think of, uh, that this thing was never human. Um, when I was a child, I always, always experienced those things around me. You know, there were times when I would just question it and say, is it just my imagination? You know, am I just imagining this? Am I just getting carried away? Or is this something that's really there? When I would move, you know, when I was a child, we used to move like sometimes every couple of weeks. I've lived in Arkansas, Tennessee, Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi, New York, Oregon. You know, I've lived all over the U.S. Everywhere I went, it would only be a matter of time, usually a very short matter of time, before I would start to see them again. And I'm talking about all the way back from the time I was like seven years old. The only time I did not experience them was when I was in prison. The 20 years that I was in prison, I did not see them one single time. It's not to say I didn't experience any sort of other phenomena because I did. At one point when I was on death row, uh, the barracks where prisoners were kept on death row was three floors. At one point, I was the only person on the third floor. It was me and 17 empty cells. Uh, I used to, all the time when I was up there by myself, I would see things in those empty cells, uh, but it wasn't shadow people. Um, the thing that happened with the shadow people was at one point I moved to Salem, Salem, Massachusetts. Uh, Salem has a very, it's not a heavy energy in the same sense that I'm, I was describing earlier, like that Southern energy, but Salem has a very, very heavy kind of energy there, a very dark kind of feel to it in some ways. When I was there, I bought a house built in 1810, really old house. Uh, there are tunnels all underneath Salem. These tunnels go all the way back to the birth of the United States. Uh, most people don't know that at one time Salem was one of the wealthiest, no, it was the wealthiest city in this entire country. This was after the Boston Tea Party. You know, after the, the people in Boston decided they were going to go down to the harbor and take over these English ships and throw all the tea off into the water. After they did that, after the Boston Tea Party, the English said, well, we're not sending our ships back to Boston. Instead, our new main port is going to be Salem, Massachusetts. So they started sending all of those ships into Salem from that point on. So you had massive amounts of wealth coming into Salem, Massachusetts. You had a lot of pirates too, a huge amount of pirates. Uh, where was I going with this? Oh, so 
a lot of these pirates and people who are more legitimate business people, anything that came off the ships onto the docks, uh, they had to pay taxes on. So they wanted to find ways to get all of these goods into the heart of Salem without having to come across the docks so that it would be recorded and they would have to pay taxes on all this stuff. The way they accomplished that is by digging tunnels all the way from the water, all the way up into the very middle of Salem, into what they called the town common. Uh, these tunnels are, I mean, they branch out all over the place. Not only were they used all the way back then, but they were used during Prohibition. You know, whenever uh, alcohol was outlawed in the United States, bootleggers used to use those tunnels to move uh, alcohol under there. Uh, during slavery days, they, would, they were used as part of the Underground Railroad. They would sneak slaves through there to get them into, you know, get them further up close to Canada, you know, hide them so that people couldn't catch them and take them back down south. Uh, you also had, uh, throughout various points of Salem's history, you had really rich politicians who kept mistresses and would go down into these tunnels and use them to get to their mistress's house without being seen. Well, the house that I had in 1810, uh, that was built in 1810, in my basement was the entrance to these tunnels. You could go into those tunnels under the town from my basement. It was not wise to do so because they caved in all the time. Uh, they would tell you, like through the town, if you find one of these entrances, don't go down there because there's always, you know, cave-ins and you'll get trapped and nobody will ever hear from you again. Uh, but, you know, there were, there was very odd, sometimes ominous energy that you would feel from the entrance to that tunnel. Uh, but when I first got to Salem... When I first arrived, there were no shadow people at all. Like, even though this house is built in 1810, even though it's connected to these underground tunnels where murders did happen, uh, I did not perceive anything in that house at all, uh, entity-wise. There were no intelligences there. There were no entities haunting there. Um, as time went by, I was there for a year and a half. I lived there for a year and a half. As time went by, again, those shadow people started to accumulate. Something about being in that location made it worse than it had ever been before. They started to become more dense, and there were more of them, until it got to a point where it was like an infestation, like they were everywhere. Uh, and they feel malevolent. Um, you know, they feel like these things are uh, not exactly angry, but maybe not, they're not friendly by any stretch of the imagination at all. These things aren't exactly looking to do anybody good. Well, if you're familiar with uh, Michelle Belger, spelled like Bellinger, B-E-L-L-A-N-G-R. She wrote a book called The Psychic Vampire Codex. 
bunch of other books. She also was on one of those haunting shows for a while. I can't remember which one. Um, I've never seen it. Uh, but it was one of those shows where they go into like haunted locations and she was uh, the person that would go in, you know, they would take all this equipment in, like recording equipment, but she would also go in to provide like the psychic aspect of things. Well, she's actually a really close friend of mine. She came to stay with me when I was in Salem. And I asked her at one point, I didn't tell her what, what it was. I didn't tell her, uh, I didn't tell her, you know, um, what I had been experiencing or anything else. I just asked her, I said, do you feel something here in this house? And she said, yes, but it's not connected to the house. It's not the house that it's attached to. I said, what is it? She said, you. And I said, what, what does it want? Why is it doing this? She said, it wants or they want you to tell them what to do. They're waiting on a job. Right now, they're just hanging here, lingering, loitering. They're waiting on you to give them some sort of instruction. And I said, what, what do they want? What kind of instruction? What am I supposed to tell them to do? What am I supposed to do with them? She said, tell them to guard the house. Tell them that this house is their domain and that it is now their job to watch over this house and make sure that nothing harms this house or anyone in it so that they have something to direct all of this malevolent energy towards. They will direct all this energy you feel towards anything that tries to harm you or anyone in this house. So, I did a ritual designed to bring them, bring in as much energy as I possibly could to send to these, whatever the hell they are, and instruct them to stand sentinel over this house. When I moved from there, they never, I never experienced them again. It, they, they stayed at the house whenever I left and I never again, they've never started accumulating after that. You know, I've lived in several different places after that here in the city and uh, I've never seen them again. So it worked. So the, that, you know, that's just an example of something that exists that we don't really even have a, a, a name for yet. We don't have an understanding for. But anyway, let me read you this thing about what John Michael Greer wrote about monster. The word monster comes from the Latin monstrum, which means that which is shown forth or revealed. The same root also appears in the English word demonstrate and several less common words, such as remonstrance, 
that share the same sense of revealing, disclosing, or displaying. In the original sense of the word, a monster is a revelation, something shown forth. Another word that has the same root as monster, if you've ever, if you grew up Catholic, you know that whenever they walk down the aisle and they hold this gold thing, it's like a gold wand and it's got a huge gold sunburst on it. And in the middle of the sunburst, sometimes you'll see the Eucharist in there. Sometimes they'll have like a relic from a saint, you know, like a saint's knuckle bone or a tooth or a lock, you know, anything in this huge sunburst and they carry it through and it's like showing it off. That is called a monstrance. That's the, the actual name for it in the church. The priest carrying that thing, it's called a monstrance. And it's because the word monster means to show forth. You are showing forth this relic of, of a dead saint. You're showing forth this Eucharist wafer, which is the actual body of Christ. It, it is a physical item that has been you know, packed with immense amounts of chi due to the belief and everything else of, of people uh, engaging in transubstantiation. You know, whenever you're transforming something that is just uh, a physical item into something that is both physical and spiritual, uh, that's why it's called a monstrance. It's because you are showing forth this relic of the saint or this divine artifact. This may seem worlds away from the usual modern meaning of the word monster, a strange, frightening, and supposedly mythical creature. But here, has, as elsewhere in the realm of monsters, appearances deceive. Certainly, monsters are strange, at least to those raised in modern ways of approaching the world. As we'll see, too, monsters have a great deal to do with the realm of myth, although this latter word, like monster itself, has older and deeper meanings that evade our modern habits of thought. The association between monsters and terror, too, has practical relevance, even when the creatures we call monsters fear us more than we fear them. And that's the thing, too, about all this stuff that exists on all these different levels of reality. Some of those, just like things that exist here that scare us, you know, like, say, for example, a rattlesnake. If you come across a rattlesnake, yeah, you're going to feel that fight or flight. You're going to experience that state of fear. But that creature is just as scared of you, if not more, than you are of it. Because it knows that you can harm it, and probably will. The same way all of these different creatures or entities or intelligences on all these other levels of reality also feel that same uh, fear of us. And we're already closing in on an hour. I honestly thought we were going to get a lot further than this uh, than we have on the first night. But if you guys want to keep going with this stuff, we'll keep going with it in, in future talks because we haven't even begun to scratch the surface of this stuff. Uh, you know, I want to do like an hour long, at least an hour long on like just different types of things that you find, you know, different intelligences, different entities, like different categories that they fall into. And I'll give you one example, you know, just like we have maggots and flies here in the physical world, that their, their basic job is to 
eat dead things, eat waste products, eat rotten food, and digest it so that it you know, becomes something that can be recycled back into the ecosystem here, the physical ecosystem. There are things very, very much like that on the etheric and astral levels of reality. They're basically like spiritual maggots, for lack of a better phrase, that their job is to decompose uh, energy the same way that flies and maggots and other bugs decompose physical matter here in, in this realm. Um, the myth, the terror, and the strangeness all have, the, all have their roots in the nature of the realm of monsters and the monstrous. A world of revelations where the hidden and the unknown show furtive glimpses of themselves. If we pay attention to them, monsters do have something to reveal. They show us the reality of the impossible. or of those things that we label impossible. They point out that the world we think we live in and the world we actually inhabit may not be the same place at all. In other words, a lot of what we've been taught about the world and a lot of what we've been taught isn't true about the world is basically theories and conceptions and, and all sorts of other ideas by people like that guy I was describing earlier who weren't even able or capable of perceiving these other levels of reality. Uh, they're the ones who are telling the world what's true and what's not. It's like a, a blind person, uh, a person who's been blind since birth trying to tell the rest of the world what colors do and do not exist. That's pretty much what we're dealing with in, you know, a society or science uh, that wants to tell us that these things are just myths. These things are uh, superstitions from some bygone area. Um, let me see where to re keep going. For thousands of years, monstrous beings have been a source of revelations of this kind. In earlier times, in fact, monsters and what they showed forth were seen as matters of very great importance. Now, we don't see them as that important at all. You know, we see important as uh, what the Kardashians are doing or... Um, you know, whatever, whatever our politicians are doing, all of that kind of stuff. That's what we see as important. Uh, the world at large, they can't make any money off of this stuff. So to them, it's not important. Therefore, we're not told anything about it. Monsters were news, and not just for the reasons that draw crowds to monster movies and UFO sighting areas nowadays. To the ancient Greeks and Romans, for example, the appearance of any strange being was a message from the hidden realms of existence and needed interpretation by skilled professionals. Like comets, meteors, the mutterings of oracles, and the behavior of birds and animals, the appearance of monsters could be read and understood by the wise and used to cast light on future events, the unknowns of the present, and the always mysterious purposes of the gods and goddesses. Other ancient societies had similar habits. 
In China, up to the time of the nationalist takeover of 1911, for instance, the imperial government included a whole bureaucracy of omen readers who collected reports of dragons and other monstrous creatures and recorded them as guides to the will of heaven. The same sort of attitude is common to most traditional cultures, and it remained standard in the West all through the Middle Ages. The monkish chroniclers of medieval times noted sightings of werewolves and mermaids in much the same spirit that leads modern newspapers to report the doings of such equally mysterious entities as the gross national product. The appearance of a monster was news, not just because of what the monster was, but because of what it meant. In other words, what it showed forth about the universe and humanity's place in it. So these things, all of these things that we would call unexplained phenomena, they looked at as clues as to not only like how the universe is constructed, uh, but also what our role within this structure is, what we're supposed to be doing. Um, let me see. This approach to the monstrous only faded out with the scientific revolution which began some 350 years ago in Western Europe. The thinkers who spearheaded that revolution saw traditional lore of all kinds as one of the most important roadblocks in the way of their dream of a wholly rationalistic approach to the world. Some of these early scientists, such as Francis Bacon, suggested that the old lore should be carefully searched for whatever real knowledge it contained. The majority, though, thought otherwise and it was their view that ultimately triumphed. That triumph was rooted in a profound change in the way people understood the world around them. Before the scientific revolution, most people saw the world as a living unity, one that communicated with the observant mind. With the new science came a radically different way of thinking about the universe a way that saw dead matter moving in empty space as the only reality and rejected everything else as fable, fraud, or delusion. Under the influence of this new philosophy, all the old monster lore of the ancient and medieval periods, and a great deal more, was heaped up into one great pile labeled nonsense and tossed aside without a second thought. And I'm going to skip ahead and because it was one really important thing, and then we'll stop for the night because we've already been going for about an hour. But there's one really important piece here that I wanted to tell you about, you know, for example, uh, how science operates, how it doesn't operate. Uh, this is about what people have thought were true at times. Let's see. Thus, for example, no less a personage than Thomas Jefferson reacted to reports of a meteorite impact at a time when scientific theory stated that meteors were not made of rock and could not hit the earth by insisting it was more likely that an entire county full of witnesses had lied than that a stone had fallen from the sky. His logic was simple. The best scientific authorities said that there were no stones in the sky and therefore stones couldn't have fallen from the sky. Meteorites couldn't exist, and therefore they didn't exist, no matter what the evidence said. 
Similarly, until Nixon's trip to China brought acupuncture into a blaze of publicity that no amount of official condemnation could obscure, medical authorities in the West insisted that putting needles into a person's skin couldn't possibly cause anesthetic and healing effects. These statements were made not because anyone had done experiments disproving acupuncture, but because Western medical theories couldn't and still cannot account for it. Even now, after the publication of reams of experimental studies showing that acupuncture does in fact have the effects claimed for it, there are plenty of medical researchers in the Western world who still dismiss it as quackery because it doesn't fit their theories. So you've got people saying in the time of Thomas Jefferson, the, the greatest scientific minds of that time said that meteorites were not made of rock. There are no rocks in the sky. So when a meteorite crashed to the earth in front of an entire county of witnesses, Thomas Jefferson pretty much said they are all either lying or delusional or crazy because our scientists tell us that that's not what meteorites are. So you saying you saw that, that is impossible. So it must be a lie. They don't question, he didn't question the fact that maybe the people who thought they knew what's going on in the world don't know as much as they think they do. Instead, he invested like an omnipotent state of intelligence to these people and said anyone who says otherwise must be lying no matter, you know, it's like Richard Pryor says, who are you going to believe, me or your own lying eyes? That's pretty much the way that they looked at stuff like that. Um, and I'm going to stop for right now. Uh, we've got, uh, oh, and the same way with, with acupuncture, you know, all the way up until the 70s when Richard Nixon uh, went to China in the 70s, you had people here saying that uh, acupuncture wasn't real, wasn't a real thing. Uh, only when Richard Nixon, the president of the United States, finally goes over to China uh, do, and, and sees it with his own eyes and then comes back and says, well, yeah, they do actually do that. They are putting needles in people's skin and it's doing something to them. Only then, after it was seen with their own eyes, just like when people used to say, there's no such thing as a gorilla. Whatever that crazy thing you're describing is does not exist. You're making up stories. People said the same thing about acupuncture, that it was just like a, an, a Chinese myth, some, a, a myth this, you know, like like genies in a lamp or something like that. It was only after the president of the United States goes there in the 1970s and sees it with his own eyes do they finally admit, okay, something's going on there that we don't understand. That happens over and over and over when you're talking about things like magic, when you're talking about alchemy, and when you're talking about the supernatural world. Uh, and we're going to get into a lot more of, of all of this stuff as long as you guys want to bear with me and go into it. Because here's the thing. Like I said, I don't find a lot of, of ghost story. You know, like when I hear somebody say, you know, I saw a ghost go up the stairs or whatever it is. I don't care, to be honest, for the most part. You know, I don't find that terribly fascinating. And I don't find it useful in, in most ways. Uh, it doesn't, you know, it's like my dad used to say when I was a kid, like somebody says, I saw a ghost. He'd say, yeah, well, that and, and $2 will get you uh, a Coke. 
you know, it doesn't mean anything. It's not worth anything. It doesn't affect the way I live in any way. Uh, I had a point with that. Where was I going? Oh, my point is that, um, crap, I lost it again. My brain's going blank. One second. What were we talking about? Oh, not finding it interesting. However, even though I don't find it interesting, I think it is incredibly invaluable to helping us understand more about magic. How magic works, the different levels of reality that that are being affected whenever we're doing magic, you know, the things that are taking place. If you begin to understand uh, what's going on in what we call the supernatural or the paranormal or any of that, those levels of reality, you will understand a lot more about how to do magic and how to do magic better. Yes, I saw someone just ask about the Egyptian vampirism. We are going to get into that because it is, uh, that, that's basically the birthplace of vampire lore. And it began with the mummification process, the pharaohs, uh, all of that kind of stuff. Um, but, but vampirism was first reported in ancient Egypt. Just to give you a brief preview, I won't go on because we're already over an hour, but just to give you a brief idea of vampirism, uh, in ancient Egypt, the reason that they used this embalming process to preserve these bodies is because the more intact you can preserve the physical body, the tighter the, you can bind the etheric body to it. You know, the Pharaoh was seen as, as a bridge between the world of man and the world of the gods. Well, just because he died doesn't mean his job was over. He was expected to keep working on behalf of the people uh, even after his physical death. Well, in order to do that, he needed to be bound to this realm and he had to be fed. He had to be fed energy in order to have the strength and the power to keep interceding on behalf of humanity. This is why to this day, if you go to the Met or if you go to any museum in the world that has a lot of Egyptian artifacts, you can still see a lot of the stuff. There's a, a, an actual tomb, a temple space here in New York uh, where one of the pharaohs, what would happen is you had these priests who would go in and make offerings on these altars to the pharaoh. Everything from animals, you know, like they were leaving, like sacrificing cattle and birds and, and grain and uh, herbs and, and all sorts of things um, to the Pharaoh. They're feeding him energy. Well, you had entire Egyptian dynasties collapse under the financial burden of maintaining this priesthood whose job it was to feed these pharaohs, vampires, energy. Well, when that priesthood collapses and no one's feeding them anymore, they have no choice but to turn to energy uh, anywhere they can get it. Where do they get it? From the living. Siphoning off chi from the living. They also get it in lower grade places. For example, anything that comes out of your body hot or warm has chi. When you spit, when you piss, even feces 
all of that. It's warm, so it has chi in it. These Egyptian pharaohs go from being right next door to gods, you know, receiving this, the highest, purest forms of chi, of the life force of all of these animals, and, uh, and, and, you know, everything else that they were getting, to having to feed on the chi of piss and feces running through the, the gutters of Egypt. So they went from being gods to being dung eaters almost overnight, as well as feeding on the living. And that is essentially where vampirism was born. Uh, we are going to talk more about that kind of stuff in the future. Um, give me a few days. I'm going to be gone for a, a few days uh, just because... Um, I'm trying to catch up on a lot of the work that I missed while I was in New Orleans. Hey, Joe, it's good to see you. I'm trying to catch up on a lot of the work that I missed whenever I was in New Orleans. Uh, I've got a lot of calls to get out of the way. Uh, I'll be back in a few days. Give me about four days, give or take, and then we will be back to uh, go into um, the next phase of this talk, which will be... What I'd like to focus on next is uh, um, more about the different, the different classes of entities, the different kinds of, of entities that you find in the spiritual realm, other than ghosts or demons or angels. Um, but thank you guys for being with me again, uh, and hopefully I'll have a computer in the very near future uh, so we won't have this sub-quality phone recording anymore. Okay, guys, uh, thank you so much for being with me. I love you guys, and hopefully I will be seeing you in the very near future in person down in New Orleans. I'll talk to you later.